Our class was brought in knowing there could be a chance we'd never fly on the space shuttle. Prior to accepting, they called and said, Are you still interested, knowing you may never fly in space? The Interplanetary Podcast The exploration of space for the benefit of all humankind. Your hosts in England, George and Matthew Russell. Oh, yeah, baby Chris Cassidy. Ah, so apologies for the delay of this podcast. We've been very busy at work. I'm joined by George. Hello, George. Welcome back Hello. to the podcast. Um, um, I'm going to thank the Spodcats first, the great Spodcats that keep this show going. And they are Justin Roberts, Sigmund Ede, Drew Wright, and Justin Young. And they're legends, these people, from all around the world. They're literally all people. They're all people. They are all human beings, being human, all around the world, from the UK, Norway, the US, and Australia. How cool is that? So thank you very much. And at the end of the show, we'll have another massive long list of the rest of the patrons. George. Yeah. Before we talk um, about the special subject, uh, the, the guest on this week is a chap called Ben Turner. And do you know what Ben Turner has done? Has he, by any chance, um, been involved in the production of a Disney Plus series uh, documentary on space? Uh, if that was a guess, that's absolutely extraordinary. Yes, he's made a program called Among the Stars. Which is a, a adaptation of uh, the game Among Us, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's not, it, of course. It's following Chris Cassidy... A documentary following Chris Cassidy, the highly decorated astronaut, uh, as he does things like repair the AMS. Now, do you know what the AMS is, George? Is the uh, Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer. Oh, my God. It, it, it only is. So it's actually he actually repairs the AMS-02. The AMS-01, of course, being... Or used to be on the uh, MIR. <laughs> on the Mir. I don't think it was ever attached to the Mir. It was actually inside the bay of Endeavour, the space shuttle Endeavour, STS-134. No, 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 STS... Oh, which one was it? STS-91, I think. In 1998, they flew a kind of test version of the AMS, a prototype. And all it did was uh, measure the flux ratio of anti-helium to helium to establish an upper limit. Just in case you ever wanted to know that. Yeah, well, I well, I think for scientists, did really want to know that because this thing ain't cheap, by the way. <laughs> it involves a lot of people. You literally have to put it in space. The AMS that's up there at the moment that Chris Cassidy was fixing is designed... Uh, well, it's not designed. Obviously, instrumentation is designed by very clever engineers. But it's the principal investigator is a guy called Samuel Ting, who, who has won a Nobel Prize. So this guy is like... Apparently, this is like a labour of love to try and figure out what the heck all this dark stuff is, like dark matter and dark energy and stuff. So it measures things like antimatter particles in cosmic rays wow uh, and it's to try and yeah so so it's trying to understand how the universe formed basically so it's an amazing science experiment that hardly ever gets talked about so this ams is attached to the outside of the international space station now do you know why it's attached to the outside of the international space station 
because it it doesn't work on the inside well it yeah okay so it doesn't work on the inside but i mean why for example would it not be flying on its own spacecraft like a lot of other things do does it need to be like maintained and repaired by humans yeah i suppose that is one reason why it it might be uh on the outside of of the international space station but also it takes a lot of power as well this thing is like really power hungry so you need like a big spacecraft like the international space station to actually operate it on because it's so powerful how much power then is excess on the on the international space station well i don't suppose they've got excess power but but it's obviously they divvy it up uh, very meaningfully <laughs> amongst all the different you know all the different experiments that are going on and life support systems and stuff like that yeah so that's why it was designed to be installed on the outside of the iss pretty pretty sick yeah so guess how many people are involved in this ams something like uh 8.10 to the 12 people 8.10 to the 12 no that's that's far too many it's actually, and, and it's a weird way of expressing the number of people involved on a project, if you don't mind me saying. It's, it's, <laughs> fi- <laughs> it's 500 scientists from 56 institutions and 16 countries have been involved in this wow. instrument. Yeah, it's a lot of people. It's the most sophisticated particle detector ever sent to space, is what it's called. Uh, and it's and it's much more expensive than its ground-based counterparts, obviously, because it's got to be, as you know, has to be made hardened for space use, and you can't just bung any old thing up in space, like a car, for example. You, well, you could bung a car up in space, but Elon Musk Tesla has probably stopped working <laughs> due to ra- radiation damage by now. But it'd be interesting to see the state of it by the time I bet the LED screen doesn't work anymore. The touch touch screen. <laughs> Yeah, I bet that's been bashed, bashed well, the- a bit by the things, the very thing that AMS detects in actual fact, which is cosmic rays. There's an interesting story about uh, cosmic rays and space. Um, on the space shuttle, they have four identical computers uh, that run the same mm-hmm. code and the and, uh, same everything. Um, and they have one computer that just says, of the of the four, which one is wrong, basically, at any given point. And then to, just to ignore mm-hmm. that as an outlier. And the reason it has yeah. had this is because these computers were being hit constantly with cosmic rays, which meant that mm-hmm. the bits within them would be flipped occasionally. And the computer log logged like hundreds of accounts of this, of this happening. So if they only yeah, had one crazy, computer, it? it would just crash. Yeah. No, yeah. If you had, yeah, if you had a normal computer, yeah. Uh, where you were expecting a naught or a one, you'd get the other way around. And then obviously the whole sentence that's being conveyed makes no sense and then suddenly the computer goes i don't know what's happening but there, anymore. Have, there have been cases of uh computer voting where bits have been flipped so if somebody was going to have like one vote they could end up having 10 uh 1024 votes because of a bit flip when when did this happen I don't. I don't know. It, this did actually happen. I don't. I don't know much about this, but it. But it has actually happened in a. I think Norway or so, I don't know some place. At some hmm. point. Wow, 
Well, the, uh, this this AMS two has got a cryogenic superconducting magnet system as well in there. So it's this this thing is not messing around. It's a very expensive program, thirty three million dollars. Uh, but they actually think that by the time they finished it, it's it's more like two billion. Right. <laughs> so so it's it's funny, isn't it? It's an experiment that's not talked about that much. But it was you know it was developed by CERN in Switzerland. Uh, and then shipped over to STEC, and I've got a lot of STEC interviews coming up soon, including by the director of STEC, which is probably next week. Shipped to STEC for for testing in 2010, flew to the Kennedy Space Center, and then flown on a space shuttle up to the International Space Station. Nice. So yeah, the 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 program actually follows Chris Cassidy. Uh, that's obviously a fictional event, right? But it's based on. No, no, this is a documentary. It's oh, a it's documentary a documentary. Following, oh. Yeah, following following Chris Cassidy, uh, the, so, the so, actual astronaut. Lots of like spacewalks had to be done to sort of try and repair this thing, including Luca Parmitano as well went out there to try and fix it. Uh, Christina Koch, Jessica Meir uh, operated the Canada Arm inside the space station to help them. Aren't they adding another arm? Uh, yeah, there is. The European arm is is, is currently on the International the Space arm. Station. The Euro arm. <laughs> which <laughs> Euro arm. It's not quite as good, is it? Canada arm. Uh, it's the, the Euro arm one, as opposed to the Canada arm two, um, is, is, yes, is part of the Neuker module or is on the outside of the Neuker module and, and is essential to get that thing working. The AMS is this... V- it has got quite a few goals as well. It's a scientific goals to actually, and for that amount of billions, you'd expect it to do quite a bit. Right? Yeah. Look at antimatter. Sounds very sci-fi, you know, like look, detecting antimatter. That just sounds like not even a thing that you would, you know, it just sounds like fiction, hmm. but often science fact is often more weird than science fiction. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's some versions of the Big Bang theory, for example, that that says that there should be equal amounts of matter and antimatter, and that there should be billions of galaxies that are made up of antimatter rather than matter. Well, the majority of the mass of the universe is dark matter, right? Dark energy and dark matter, yeah. In other words, stuff we don't know what it is. It's most of the universe. <laughs> By far, most of the universe. It's it's a ridiculous amount, like. 60% you know, 90% odd percent. No, 90% odd percent. It's ridiculous. It's an embarrassing large amount of the universe. We don't know what it is. And this this experiment is to try and sort of dig into maybe what it is. Um, so it's looking for anti-helium, basically, because any amount of anti-helium would provide evidence of the existence of antimatter in space. Uh, and that's why they wanted to set an upper limit for what it must be. So the, the AMS-01 wasn't sensitive enough to pick up more than a certain amount. And so uh, AMS-02 was, is more sensitive to try and see if there is any there at all. It's also there to try and to pick up dark matter, see if it can actually detect any dark matter in space. Using And so, how, how is it doing this? Like, What, what instruments does it have on it? that enable it to just detect things like dark matter and antimatter and things? Well, well, it's it's a particle detector, so it will detect any kind of particle going through, but how it does it, I've no idea. 
but it's very similar to the particle detectors in things like the the Large Hadron Collider and stuff like that. But it's it's one that's that they've sent into space, as it, so that it's just testing. You know, it's it's looking at particles that are flowing through on on the you know cosmic rays as they go through. And um, yeah, you're right. Ninety five percent of the matter of the universe is dark. Twenty five twenty percent of that is dark matter, and the other seventy five percent is dark energy. <laughs> So yes, uh, completely both unknown what the heck's going on. But the leading sort of candidates are things like neutralinos and things like that that potentially could be detected by the AMSO2. And you could also maybe detect things like strangelets. Things like um, st- uh, strange quarks and things. Yeah, so strange quarks, yeah. So that so instead of your normal up, down, strange, charm, bottom and top, there might be other other flavours. Um that other sort of stable matter made up of stranger quarks or strangelets as they Would they so would they just be various like elements or that would be made partly with strange uh, you know, strange quarks and things? As of 2021 it seems it's recorded eight events that seem to indicate the detection of anti-helium anti-matter helium basically Hmm. so it looks like it has actually detected antimatter in space which is a I, i would imagine um that that is pretty spectacular um so yes there is an also an unexplained excess of high energy positrons in earthbound cosmic rays and that apparently is consistent that positrons originating from the annihilation of dark matter particles in space um but it's not quite conclusive for them to have a slam dunk but you know it, it there could be you know as more and more data gets collected by this thing and that's why they had to fix it. Um, you'll get um, you'll get the idea about whether you know the, the the positrons are actually a signal for dark matter or not. But it's obviously pretty important, isn't it? All of it is. It's all important. It's all important, George. Anyway, enough of us rambling on about. It. Do you want to hear my interview with Ben? Ah, uh, I'd love to hear your interview with Ben, yes. Ecoute. So I'm joined on the podcast by executive producer Ben Turner. Welcome to the uh, podcast, Ben. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, no, it's absolutely my pleasure. I know this one's been a bit of a, a, bit of a tough one to set up for some reason. Um, well, we've got you on the podcast because you've um, made a new Disney Plus um series um can you tell us a little bit about it as a, a, a space related one i should say <laughs> yeah absolutely um uh, it, it's it's a pleasure for me to talk about the show everyone who i know is sick to death of me talking about it because <laughs> i've been so upset so obsessed by this for such a long time um i would love to i would have loved nothing more than to have been an astronaut myself like so many kids uh it turned out that wasn't what my where, where my talents lay um <laughs> And uh, but I've had this uh, been lucky enough to have a decent career as a filmmaker. Uh, and over the years, have uh, realised as a documentary filmmaker, I get to spend time and hopefully tell the stories of people and places that I love. Uh, so there's nothing that I've ever loved more than NASA or wanted to get closer to. Uh, and after kind of 
figuring out over about 10 or 15 years how I could get in there, um, including making a music video for One Direction uh, as my first point of entry. Oh, wow. uh, I, I finally managed um, to a slightly bizarre twist of fate. Um, I'm one of my partners is James Corden. Whilst he was doing the, uh, whilst he was shooting Peter Rabbit, the, uh, the director of Peter Rabbit, a guy called Will Gluck, um, was telling him that he'd met this amazing astronaut, a guy called Chris Cassidy, and it felt like Chris was open to doing uh, some kind of documentary. And we'd just finished making Sunderland Till I Die back then, which is like a Netflix series uh, about some uh, football club that I love. Oh, yeah, it's uh, a great. Sunderland. Yeah, great, great program that was, yeah. <laughs> um, and we were just like, and so James was like, you've got to speak to Ben, right? He's obsessed by this, and, you know, he, he's decent enough at making documentaries. It's worth a chat. And so the pitch became Sunderland Till I Die in Space. What's not to love? <laughs> and, uh, and, that's, and that's really how it all got started. Well, you, you've definitely sold me on that one because, yeah, that's that's that was a brilliant program. <laughs> yeah, Just so- hopefully NASA would NASA wouldn't be as catastrophic uh, as Sunderland were during the time we were there. Cause, <laughs> I mean, if they if they had have, uh, if they had have had the luck that Sunderland had, we probably would have had some dead astronauts. But fortunately, uh, they seem to be a lot better prepared. Yeah. So the the, the um, yeah your 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 documentary follows Chris Cassidy. Can you give us a little bit of a background? For Chris, because he's a he's a pretty decorated astronaut, isn't he? He's pretty amazing. Yeah, he was a he's a uh, decorated Navy SEAL. When I when I first met him, they said I was basically told that he he can't he's not he, you know like most of these guys they're not really going to talk too much about what they did. But mm. he was sent to Afghanistan on September the twelfth. If that that's what if that gives you a sense of like who he was in the military, but I don't know if he was exactly September the twelfth, but he he did a tour out there. Um, and uh, yeah, and then sort of went on to become an astronaut. But uh, he's an you know he's an amazing guy. Very, very. I mean, actually, that most of the astronauts that I met are incredibly down to earth, lovely, um, and uh, incredibly capable, and a great joy to work with. Because you you know if they say they're going to do something, they do it, <laughs> and they get there early to do it, and they do it brilliantly. So you know, and you're relying on you know in these kind of documentaries, you're relying on a lot of goodwill and uh, buy-in from the people you're working with um and so yeah he was he was just really amazing and then and by him taking us in there i mean you see it we, we use that also as a device in the series that he, he's the guy who kind of takes you into nasa and opens the doors i it, we try to make it not just the chris cassidy story because one of the things we noticed also was uh just that all astronauts will tell you they're just the tip of the iceberg. So, so one of the things that, that, that makes sports documentaries so amazing, or so so, um, so not easy to make, but that make the sports kind of a sports team so good for this kind of documentary, is every week they play a game and your characters succeed or fail in a very binary way, right? They either win or lose, and mm. so the, you can move the drama on quite um, in a quite a kind of uh, regular. And, and understandable fashion then. So we, we, well, we were thinking about how to take that model over into NASA um, when, you know, there's actually, there's only one mission or there's a spacewalk. So, you know, we knew we'd have an amazing denouement, but we weren't sure along the way. We kind of quickly realized once we went in with Chris that, and it was this thing about the astronauts just being the tip of the iceberg, that in the iceberg is where the drama is. Because there's like a bunch of people getting the mission ready. And they, there's, literally, there's literally no room for failure because people, you know, is hmm. gen- a genuine life or death drama 
But, you know, it, it, like, <laughs> there's people in all different rooms all around there who are like, oh, my God, if I don't get this done by Wednesday, we're screwed. <laughs> it's a $2 billion experiment. And that's a lot of pressure and so a lot of drama to deal with. So, so there's a very long way of saying that it was amazing to meet Chris and he took us into NASA. And once the doors opened, um, it was, you know, it was just everything I hoped it would be. Um, and just amazing characters and, and an amazing story. So, so how long how long were you shooting the the documentary for, and what over what period? Well, we we shot it for I mean, probably shooting for around two years or so. I mean, it was it was getting it pitched uh, took a while. Um, Disney were amazing, but they're a big organisation, so sort of getting. I mean, you can <laughs> you can uh, you can imagine trying to get the uh, legal departments of Disney and NASA aligned was a. Uh, was a hell of a uh, was a hell of a thing to try and pull off, um, mm. and took a while. So we sort of we were actually kind of shooting it really before it was commissioned properly because the the mission's going; they're not going to delay mm. their launch for me. Um, and so uh, and so we so we yeah it was kind of a bit sort of edgy to the summer there. And I remember my my the guy who commissioned it who was a Disney Plus a guy called Dan Silver had said to me when I sort of explained to him that, that we were quite deeply in the hole with stuff we paid to shoot. He basically just said, look, trust me, I'll make, you know, I'll, I'll make sure, I'll make sure it comes, it, it, it turns out. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, I don't, you know, you don't know him that well. Mm. Um, but I really just wanted to do it so much that I did and they came through. But, uh, but, but then we, we ended up shooting a lot of it just pre COVID and then it kind of, the COVID thing was, was, really changed the way it had to be made mm. obviously because now because you know nasa's a government agency they can't really bend the rules for you um to go in and uh and shoot anyway so we, we and i'd been really concerned about how we were going to capture the stuff in space because like no matter how many times i begged they wouldn't let me go uh so i was kind of <laughs> relying on chris to, to do it himself um which really did work out but then actually that became the easiest part and trying to film anything on earth was basically impossible what was the very first part of the mission that you were filming when you when you first started well uh, the first part the first shoot i ever managed to do uh was in aachen in germany um which which is where they built the tools for ams and they just it was actually you know it was there and they had a big meeting of the whole team and they sort of discussed where they were up to yes probably about two years ago um and and i got but it, it was fortunate for me actually that that uh, they were doing so much there because obviously at that point in time quite easy to go over to Germany and just shoot and I had some friends there so that helped the kind of shoestring nature of it um, you know rather than have to go into, you know all the way to Houston essentially which is mm. a much more expensive flight um, but yeah but, uh, and the international nature was also a great sort of, uh, great sort of uh, bonus because I think also in these shows you want to be able to cut through a few different precincts that keeps it Sort of uh, keeps the interest going, and when they when they were doing the final spacewalks um, in episode four, uh, there's like we were cutting between Japan, uh, Geneva, Houston, space. It was just like mm-hmm. bonkers. Um, yeah. Did uh, did that surprise you? Did that surprise you just how international the effort is? Oh, I, I, obviously, it's the International Space Station, but did yeah. it sort of surprise you just just how international that was? Well, to an extent, I'm not sure surprised is the right word, but I was delighted by it, uh, as I say, because the extra precincts really helped. 
Disney Plus is an international platform, so it was good for them. And also, you know, it was a, we were making this at a time when there was like, you know, I mean, it's not that much better now, but it was particularly bad then with Trump and everything, and just everything just felt really nasty hmm. and awful. And like, it was just so. There was a real kind of. It was to be honest. I mean, it's great for the show, but just for me, so sitting in my bedroom through lockdown, just watching the news with horror. It was pretty amazing to be involved with at the same time this example of like how people can be amazing and collaborate and do cool stuff. Um, and I, and I, I, I do hope that that comes through in the show because I think that um, it's quite important to, it's important that we sort of look the problems in the eyes, but it's also important to remember that, you know, people can be totally amazing um, and do amazing things. And I think also we get, we get better if we've got a mission, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? If we're, so uh, and so it was amazing. It was really a privilege and, and, and quite inspiring for me to sort of see that. What was the main mission that this all revolved around? I mean, obviously Chris is a as a sort of central figure, but what was the yeah? What's the actual mission uh, and and what did it fly up on, etc.? Yeah, totally. Well, the mission was on, but the mission was kind of it, the more I looked at it, the more amazing it was. I mean, I would have done this for anything, you know mm. what I mean? I, like mm. it didn't have to have a day. I would have tried to, but but it turned out the mission was. Uh, it was to fix something called the AMS, the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer. Mm. Um, and it was put up there by this amazing guy called Professor Samuel Ting, um, who's also just an unbelievable <laughs> character in the show. Um, and and a, a Nobel Prize winning scientist. So, you know, he's got the credentials. Um, and he, uh, and it's basically, I don't know, I didn't know much about physics, um, but, but it's basically the idea, his idea was to put a magnetic spectrometer in space because on Earth, to like to do that kind of work, to look for anti-gravity and particles, what they do in particle physics of like subatomic particles, to look for those on Earth, you've got to use CERN and smash particles together. And it's like, I mean, we all know about CERN. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty intricate and uh, quite a big deal. Whereas if you just put the measuring instrument in space, you've essentially got all that stuff they're looking for floating around that is usually filtered out by the atmosphere on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of, and looking for dark matter and anti-matter and all that kind of stuff, which I have learned basically dark matter just means stuff we don't know about. Can't <laughs> yeah. explain. Um, it's like, but in looking for that stuff, they literally are looking for the origins of the universe and what it's going to take for us to become a true interplanetary species. It's that level of research. As I said, they're pretty much, they, it's by a Nobel Prize winning physicist and they expect more Nobel Prizes from that. Um, from that research, Ting would always say that he basically, he's quite old now, he's in his like 80s, basically like his final work is just to blow it all open and say a load of questions to everybody, which is kind of romantic in itself. Mm. So fixing that was just, like, I used to tease him that he's just like, I don't know if they tease him, but I used to joke with him that he was like, that he was the ultimate MacGuffin, you know what I mean, for, for a film that we're going to go and, you know, go, go solve the mysteries of the universe is pretty mm. awesome. Um, and it was a really, and it was a really, it was a set of four spacewalks that were very intricate and probably I think it's fair to say like the most complicated set of spacewalks in a generation. I think the Hubble repairs that they did 10, 15 years ago, which was still in the shuttle era, were the only really comparable thing they've done. Um, so all in all, it was it was just pretty mega to be kind of part of that mm. that process. It was just the one launch, was it, that, that Chris Cassidy went well, up? Well, no, that's where that's where we start. So I'm conscious not to give spoilers to oh, oh, into, okay. the, uh, into uh, to everybody, but it definitely, definitely didn't go according to plan in there. Um, it was uh, the whole thing spun way out of control, um, and 
it was really, I don't know, just really amazing to, to see it. There's, there's a lot more stories than just AMS. AMS is a part of it hmm. um, and a big part of it. But yeah, there's a group of Chris, they, everyone goes through quite a lot. Um, and yeah, it's like, it was, it's, it, I think it's a great story. I mean, it is a great story. Whether I've told it brilliantly or not, it's the, the story itself. Is <laughs> the story is exceptional, and I don't know if it's not about me being modest. It's really pretty amazing the way it all sort of came out. So I think we did it. Uh, I think we did it justice. How many episodes does it unfurl in? It's uh, it's six episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, all uh, all online, all dropped, all dropped in one. Mm-hmm. Um, as of yesterday, actually, um, and. Uh, some of them are longer than others. The last ones, uh, the last ones, kind of an hour long. But they're, they're mainly around the forty-minute mark. I mean, it's a real, it's one of the great sort of joys of working for a for a streamer is that you don't have to hit an, an, a pre-ordained uh, duration. Mm. So, uh, so that's cool. And yeah, so they're, they're mainly around forty minutes, but, um, but some are a bit longer. But seeing it's available on Disney Plus, is it? The... It is. Yeah, it is. I suppose the other thing to say, given like I'm given that I'm, I'm sort of singing to the gallery a little bit here, is I mean, there's something I didn't really realise when I went into it, was that I got to chart a really significant inflection point uh, in the history of NASA and space exploration. Anyone who's into it, is, we're, I mean, we're all just clucking to see what's going to happen next. And, um, you know, I get a bit, it's, I've had a few people ask me about this whole billionaire space race thing, but I think in a way that's a bit of a distraction because, it's, you know, I'm just, just basically super it's not me who's going up on mm. this mission but that's kind of a precursor to, to us really like humanity being in space in a totally different kind of a way um but it's also you know chris is a chris flew shuttle and luca you know was well luca uh, palmer is his handling astronaut had been on the iss and there's and doug hurley who came up on dm2 you know that the first like commercial crew mm. which happened during our story He's also shot, and it, he also flew shuttle with Chris on their first mission. So it was a kind of changing of the guards to an extent of NASA, and I hope we've kind of captured a window into NASA as it was in a way, as it's about to transition into something quite different now, mm. um, in a very exciting way. But uh, but that was also just as a total space nut and someone who just you know that just loves it so much to to, to be present then and to get to document that felt, felt you know pretty amazing to me. Really exciting yeah so i mean presumably you're talking i i i guess mainly about think people like spacex coming in as commercial partners to nasa and and kind of blowing the doors open in in that sense was it was that palatable was that palatable at at nasa was that something that really felt like it was happening because yeah you're you're shooting over that period aren't you where the where where yeah dragon finally gets to fly Totally, totally. And yeah, and Chris was there to open the hatch for, for Bob and Doug when they got up. Um, so he's got, was, that was like a, just a little gift to us that in the middle of our show is that, that, that <laughs> yeah. sort of monumentally historical moment. Um, and yeah, definitely you feel that thing. Because, you know, when we started, Chris, there were, Chris's only way of getting up there was on a Soyuz. Mm. And, 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 you know, there was a great collaboration with the Russians, but um, it's still, you're flying, you're still asking someone else for a lift. Um, and, uh, you know, and they'll tell you when they're going to go and how they're going to give you the lift and maybe ask you a petrol money. Mm. Whereas, like having that, you know, launching with SpaceX out of the US much more regularly, um, de- yeah, definitely was 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 a game changer for them in a good way. They had been waiting a long time for that. 
Uh, and as you as you sort of mentioned before, the you know the, so the, the commercial crew and the, the astronauts buying being able to buy their seats is one thing uh, is amazing, but it's also this thing of just what people are going to launch up there. Mm. Um, and that's the thing I sort of bore the pants off all the people I know about. It's like you know GPS is a space technology. Um, what they, and in the same way as when the internet started and we were like amazing, you know, we can like we can steal music and <laughs> put our band up there. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and you know we didn't realize that it was going to change everything. Like I sort of, there's a sense that this new space industry like could change everything in this sense of like, as I say, GPS is an example. But I, one of the things that I did with Chris on the on the one of the first things I did with Chris, Chris actually was on the on the anniversary. Uh, the 50th anniversary of the Apollo landings. He went and was part of like a conference in Boston, uh, and Bezos was there. And Bezos was talking, and, and a load of people was there. But Bezos was talking about like putting polluting industry off planet, and obviously like us paying for him to bring it back to us. Um, but like <laughs> this notion of us building stuff on Earth to take up to space, I think could end up being reversed. Um, and you know, mining asteroids. And, I mean, just God knows what else is coming along, but, but coming down the line. But this thing of anyone and any company being able to launch stuff into space it's just it's just so exciting it is those like those kind of sci-fi drawings that you saw as a kid of like you know mm. people with those kind of bold helmets walking around the moon like that is that is actually a, a, a potential thing now um in the next generation and 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 so to, to be able to see the big chart the beginnings of that and frankly just to meet a load of the people who are involved in it and like get shown around what they're doing and go out for a beer with them it's just like you know for, for a nerd like me it was just i mean heaven yeah i mean that it's as good as it gets i mean yeah i'm very very jealous it's it's the one thing that i love doing about this podcast is is meeting astronauts and and talking to like you know incredible people and it's it's a, such a pleasure isn't it i mean particularly astronauts because they are there is something a cut above <laughs> normal people yeah, where, where yeah. they they yeah, yeah. They're, they're selected aren't they i suppose <laughs> they've, totally, all, they've, totally. already, they've already been selected for you but yeah i mean so what where did your interest in when when did you first start getting interested in space where, where what was your what was the thing that oh, turned I, you I onto think, it i don't know i mean you know, i think i've always captured my imagination from being a kid i mean i, I just there's pictures of me you know, i've got in like homemade spacesuits and i had a little like space shuttle kind of pedal thing that I could sit on. I mean, there's definitely a kind of. Uh, I, I, I think there were. They, remember there was, there was a book a little while ago um, called "In the." I think it was called "In the Shadow of the Moon," which was like, oh, yeah. about the Apollo. Do you yeah. remember? You've yeah, read, yeah. You yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's really a great that. book. Yeah, and that really kind of reinvigorated it from a kind of storytelling perspective um, for me, and then. Um, uh, and then you know there's a, there's, a, there's a documentary for all mankind which was made quite a bit before then not yep. I mean I, I, not, not the Apple series but which is I think one you know which I do sometimes get asked what my sort of favorite documentaries are and I think you, that really is like a masterpiece uh, the way in which you know you don't see which of the astronauts are talking and you get this sense of like you know, watch this incredible archive and you get this sense of like what it's like to walk on the moon it's just like so there was definitely a period around reading that book. Oh, and it was also in the shadow of the moon. Do you remember there was a? No, hang on. There's also a documentary. I'm yeah. Forgetting. But you uh, and then they had a series also. There was like an HBO series from the Earth. There was a kind of moment around that time, probably ten or fifteen years ago, where 
it came back a bit that those stories and and uh, I think that kind of reinvigorated me in a sense of like wow I'd love to get involved in telling these stories um you know so uh, and then as I just started pitching and stopped the one direction was funny because we we did a lot of their videos and commercials all kind and documentaries and stuff we were kind of a mm. we became a bit of a production partner for them and there was a moment where we'd done so much it was like well what are we going to do next we, we basically realized that like they could open any door for us because they were so huge so like what kind of um so we always had to remember having a conversation like where would we like to go and i was like we have to try and get to nasa and so they had this song called they had this song drag me down that was um that there was like these burning ideas for a music video for and i remember sitting there being like hang on a minute that sounds like drag me down sounds like the opposite of launching space right so we kind of we approached nasa on the back of that uh and they let us see and the video did really well i mean we it's got at the moment it's currently got almost a billion hits on youtube so that probably more to do with the fact that people love the band than <laughs> like, the and anything one direction it's it's yeah. it's massive you yeah. get a baseline you get a baseline of like 50 million hits on the first day because i we, you know anything you ever spoke about after that about things going viral you just you know it's a different kind of universe even carpool you know we make carpool carry up but even that like that gets lots and lots of hits but nothing ever flows like like that one director stuff did but it really but it did open the door and actually at the time we shot that it was quite some time we, uh, they just got the first high definition photos back from I think it was Pluto. They flown by Pluto or something like that, and they just delivered the first high definition pictures. <laughs> I remember talking to the PR people at NASA, and they were just like, you know, "Yeah, people really like that, but we haven't had people like trying to climb over the gates for you know for a long time. It's not always the teenage girls going to climb into NASA." But I remember thinking at that time that like you know how amazing it would be. If at some point in the future there's you know there's a female astronaut or some kind of physicist and she's like yeah you know I've got to go into this because I saw because I was a One Direction fan when I was eight and I saw this this video and I was like wow that's cool and that kind of made me feel a bit like because because they're very conscious at NASA of like spreading the word in 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 a really nice way like they kind of the people who work there could earn more money Hmm. private sector especially now but they're all kind of they they are in it there's a romance there and, and they want to tell their story. And, you know, I, I did a screen and, I, and I, I sort of got the bug to try and be a part of that. And I did a screening a couple of weeks ago. We did a Space Center Houston uh, for all the people in the series and all the NASA lot. And it was just like, I mean, they're all coming up to me and being like, I can't believe how great it is. And like, thank you for telling our story. And I'm like, am I part of the club now? Am I part of the club? <laughs> like, I think I'm part of the club. And we even like made, we, we, we're, so, we're so sort of like, we're, we're sort of so into it. We, we even made our own little mission patch for our series. Uh, and and hoodies with that mission patch on it, and I was like, I was really kind of as I what we got, to, I sort of lost my bearings a bit, and then I suddenly thought, oh my god, and we took a load of hoodies and patches with us, and I was like, oh my god, are they just going to look at us like we're the biggest losers ever? Like, why are you the hell do you think you are, like designing your own merch? But they were like, but they were all like way into it. They like, so they, I mean, even some of the astronauts were taking were, were wearing the hoodies off with them, and then, you know, just being part of that, getting in there, and you know, being part of their club was really. <laughs> special yeah I, I am super super jealous yeah that, i mean that's absolutely awesome i mean it's 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 so cool isn't it getting like uber nerdy about something that ultimately is really exciting i mean what what's yeah. what's more exciting than going to space i'm, I'm trying to think <laughs> i totally agree i agree and, and i've done stuff about you know i've made documentaries in the past where you have to do quite a big pitch at the beginning mm-hmm. to say to, to you have to quite a big pitch at the beginning of it to be like this is really important but in the space world, you're just like, okay, they're going to go into space and they're going to do like 
they're going to try and find the mysteries of the universe. And that's actually what they're doing. It's like, I don't, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's just amazing. To, it's just so, so romantic. Was there? Was there? Uh, I've got. Actually, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that we normally ask our guests. The first. Yeah, one, uh, well, the first one is: um, Do you have a sort of hero? Like a. It can be. It can be anyone. I suppose it could be like a, a documentary hero or a or a space hero, science hero that you would bring back from the past to show them your documentary. Yeah, I do actually. I mean. I got I've got plenty of them, but the name the main the name that springs to mind here um, would be Alan Bean, who was one of the Apollo astronauts, mm. uh, and he was I mean and you probably know who he is, but in case yeah. anyone anyone doesn't, he was he was one of the he was one of the steadiest I think afterwards because a lot of them had bit of a crisis. He became an artist and he painted pictures, and I, I remember reading about him and he and him saying. Uh, that he was just so excited to be part of Apollo that there was just nothing they could throw his way that he didn't love doing. You know, at the end of the day, he'd be sweeping out the capsule and he's like, I'm sweeping out the capsule. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it, it was just like, you know, he was just so happy to do it. And he, his, I was quite inspired by that in that, like, I wanted my work to be in the same way uh, that I could, you know, try and obviously, like, there are good days and bad days. I'm sure there were for him too. But just that general picture of like being in a place that you love and doing something you feel really committed to, and that being amazing. And so he did inspire me like that. And it turned out that the, the, in the end of episode two, when they launched, they finally get to launch the tools up to the space station. They launched it on on Northrop Grumman rocket NG twelve. Yeah, the Alan Bean. Which was ne- the yeah, Alan Bean. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And, so, and I just missed his daughter was there, but I just missed him. I'm just I'm just missed chatting to her. And then someone I was telling someone how upset I was. They were like, "Here, I'll call her." And called her, and I got to chat with her about it. And I just kind of like, and we were talking a lot about it. And by the way she spoke, she was like, "Man, my dad would have, would love what you're doing." And so, like, you know, there's loads of people I'd love to see it. I mean, imagine sitting there on Neil Armstrong or whoever, or you know, yeah. any of these, or like many great filmmakers. But I don't know. There's something about the fact that, like, there's something about the way that, like, that that thing of him, of his, of me being quite inspired by him and him sort of considering himself an artist. Um, and the idea that, like, as they, his, his daughter said, he, he really loved it, and so I don't know, that would that would be cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a great choice. I love Alan Bean. Yeah, what what an absolute legend he's. I really like his paintings as well. They're, they're actually Absolutely, really good. Mate. They're really Absolutely. good. Um, uh, and and the final question that we always always ask our guests is because because we're actually we're music related. Uh, J- Jamie and I who set up the podcast, we we're actually music business people. So so yeah. this 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 one sounds like it'll be easy for you. Um, your um, your your favorite space related song to go on our space playlist and you're not allowed to have david bowie because that's too too easy <laughs> and there's millions yeah, no of- <laughs> worries. okay so my so for me uh i would you heard the public service broadcasting yeah. album yes yeah yeah apollo so I, I one of the songs from there would be amazing i think i'd probably play i'd probably put go on there right just because i you because i played that to, i played that to chris actually a couple of times and he and he really liked it and i and and one of the parts of my pitch this thing about the iceberg I would say to the people I was pitching it to when I was saying about why the team and NASA, I was like, you've heard these people just before launch say go, mm. but you don't know what they do. And I'm going to show you what they do in this series, you know, and, and actually NASA were amazing. They let us put cameras in like the Mer and the Mitsa and all the backrooms for mission control. 
and did actually get to put these people on screen, which was pretty amazing. But I, I, I you know, I love that album, uh, and I, I, you know, listen to it all day. So I think that's the one I put forward. Awesome. I, it, that particular track may not be on. I know I've put a couple on on the on the playlist, but yeah, that's a that's a great choice. Uh, well, well, thanks very much for 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 talking to us. So it's it was out yesterday. So that was what was that the seventh? Yeah, sixth. <laughs> uh, yeah, the sixth of October. So it was out on yeah. the sixth of October. It's on Disney Plus. You can watch the whole things, all six episodes in in one in one smash. Uh, I, that's what I'm going. That's my weekend sorted then. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Um, it's really a labour of love. Um, and, it's yeah. For, and yeah it's my it's for my people you know what i mean it's for the, it's for those of us who just kind of love this so much yeah uh, and want to watch it want to get in, inside there was the interview with ben um it just leaves us to thank the other spodcats and I, i'm going to tell you who these spodcats are george who are these who are these paul hilton dr bob hodges bob moore mauta keisling christopher andreasen rob annabel Marissa Davis, Mark Schoen, Niklas Gillenstein, John Wilson Benak, Jordan Ekurdi, Alden Vala, Joseph Biernat, Stas Susha, Tyrrell McAllister, Neil Hansen, Jean Watchtanik, Tupper Hyde, Jacob Economy, Kenton Hokanson, Ronald Hatcher, Jim King, Adam French, James King. Well, I know it's James King there, but I know it's Jim King. Adam oh. French, Al Broom, Steve Croucher, Mark Kelly, and Jenna Tijuana. Thank you very much, because without your support, this podcast would be finito, or at least incredibly hard to do. Uh, but thank you very much, everyone. And uh, George, where do people go to, um, to look at the show notes and things like that? Probably somewhere like www.interplanetary.org.uk. Correct. And if you want to become a patron, you can go to patron.com forward slash... Forward slash interplanetary. That's right. That's exactly right. Patron.com forward slash interplanetary. George, what are you doing this week? I am... Other than school, you know, I'm making a short film. It's uh, based on... um, Isaac Asimov's uh, The Last Question. That is very exciting. And I shall be just lecturing. I'll be I'll be at school too. <laughs> so that's it, really. <laughs> uh, uh, hopefully I'll be finishing off some uh, interviews we did at S-Tech with Julio as well. So some, of, some people may have seen those live. Some may not have. So that they'll be released over the next few weeks. Uh, thank you for listening, Spudcats. Bye-bye! Goodbye!